0: Every person has to stand and
1: defend voting rights. Voting should be for all people.
0: Voting rights are under attack like we have not seen since the days of Jim Crow.
1: Now is the time to ensure national standards that will protect and expand our access to the ballot. Mr. President, we demand voting rights now.
0: There is no excuse to not pass voting rights reform. All other rights depend on the right to vote.
1: It is the number one issue of our times at this moment. Get this done. What do we want? Voting rights. What do we want? Now. Just over 100 years ago, brave women stood on this very spot with much the same message that we delivered today. Full and equal voting rights for all. Us, women are going to lead the way. Stay with us, follow the message, keep on keeping on, and we are going
0: to fight this gun fight. Americans believe in democracy. The American experiment in democracy is at the heart of our Constitution and the foundation of our nation. To be an American is to be free. We must never allow our republic to be overthrown and replaced with a dictatorship. We must pass. The Freedom to Vote Act to protect our democracy. The Freedom to Vote Act is a bill everyone should support. It addresses election integrity and protects voting rights. It allows for voter ID and ensures that every citizen can get an ID. It sets minimum standards for accessibility to the ballot box and requires reliable audits of election results. It protects against election interference and prohibits voter intimidation. It provides money for new and upgraded election equipment and makes it a crime to harass or interfere with election workers. The compromise bill put forward by Senator Joe Manchin is strong on election integrity. And it protects voting rights. Both sides, Trump supporters and liberal Democrats, are worried about democracy in America. Republicans are concerned about election integrity. And progressives want to protect voting rights. The Freedom to Vote Act addresses both of these concerns. Everyone should support it. This is Rich Procida, producer of Bible Study for Progressives. I've started a new podcast, Democracy Under Fire. It's a show that covers the threat to democracy and what people Are doing about it. I'm publishing it on this same channel on Wednesdays, but you can also watch the video on YouTube. Just search for Democracy Under Fire. Thank you for listening and for your support. Make sure to subscribe and share our podcast so we can get the word out to save democracy and the world please enjoy this episode of Bible study for progressives. And remember to tune in on Wednesdays for Democracy Under Fire.
1: The freedom to vote is fundamental to all of our freedoms. Following the 2020 elections in which more Americans voted than ever before in the middle of a public health crisis, we have seen unprecedented attacks on our democracy in states across the country. These strategies in state after state are to make it harder to vote and easier to cheat. Well, I'll tell you what this bill does that we're talking about today, the freedom to vote bill. It makes it easier to vote and harder to cheat. This bill will set a baseline of protections
0: for voters across the country with common sense, proven reforms that have already been successfully implemented in blue and red states across the country. It's about ensuring that these mass efforts at disenfranchisement that, that reach their most vivid flowering in the violent attack on our capital don't occur, and that people have the ability to get access to a ballot and to have confidence that their ballot will be counted with integrity. Shame on us if we allow the people's voices to be silenced in this chamber. Voting rights are preservative of all other rights. Right now, the right to vote is under attack. Our democracy is in a 911 emergency. We must act now. The far right is currently attempting to rewrite history. They don't want people to remember the insurrection for what it was, an attempt to overthrow our democratically elected government and replace it with a dictatorship. They lie to confuse the public and to spread division. We must resist their efforts to rewrite history, to undermine democracy. It's important that we all remember what happened and remember it accurately. My name is Rich Procita, and I'm the founder of the Truth and Democracy Coalition and the host of Democracy Under Fire. On Saturday, November 6th, I will be leading a study of Bob Woodward and Robert Costa's book, Peril, about the insurrection. Join us as we fight for democracy by telling the truth. We will summarize the book and then have an open discussion. To register, go to tinyurl.com slash perilbookstudy. Welcome to Bible Study for progressives, a show where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths and ideologies come together to discuss scripture, spirituality, and politics. We engage scripture in its historical context, plumb its depths, for wisdom and guidance and apply its lessons to current events and social issues. Whether you're a liberal evangelical, a new age spiritualist, a social justice activist, or a postmodern theologian, there's something in this show for you. Come, be energized in spirit and mind to understand the word and what it means to be a spiritual person in today's world.
1: What about those texts that I cited earlier that scholars use to show that Christians were still sacrificing at the temple? Well, one of them was the the leper text in Matthew, so I addressed that. Uh, The one in Acts that has Peter and John going to the temple, that one, it could be, it could be that they were going for sacrifice, but it actually says they're going for prayer. And as uh, we just looked at, when Jesus clears the temple of the sacrifice, when he disrupts the sacrificial system, um, he says, this place should be a house of prayer. He quotes Isaiah, says, and he calls for it to be a place of prayer. So there are scholars that say that the early Jesus movement wanted to replace sacrifice with prayer. So it could be that they're going at the time of sacrifice, but they're only going to pray. And that's kind of the way, that's their protest. That's their sort of active protest. They're, they're being, in a way, faithful to the Jewish tradition, but opposing sacrifice. They're going to pray. But the 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 main thing I, I want to point out, because I'm not going to get into all those texts, and there are others as well, is that we may see a mixed picture, and there's a reason for this. And that is that sacrifice was just too embedded in everyday life, for everyone to be able to give it up in every way that they were involved in it. Now, see, part of the problem happens is because we think of this as a religious act. And so religious acts in our world are optional. If you don't do them, there's no real consequence. You know, and for all uh, the talk that we religious people make about being committed and fully committed and, you know, it's optional. And when push comes to shove, it gets shoved all the time. So that's the way we would, we, we tend to think of, well, I'll sacrifice. They didn't want to do it. They didn't have to do it. Well, you know, whatever. But what we don't understand is how embedded it was in life. It had to do with people's proper standing in society. It had to do with honor. And as, as you uh, recall, when I've talked about honor before in this honor, shame society, honor was actually more important than money honor was about who you had relationship with and that could give you access to things like like even food and shelter and political rights and i mean it was very very important it was more important than money honor was uh some have said that was re- the true currency of the ancient Medit- uh, ancient first century mediterranean world daniel Ulucci, um someone a scholar that i alluded to earlier didn't say his name But I I just recently read his dissertation, PhD dissertation online. I think he's actually made it into a book, but you have to buy the book, whereas his his dissertation is free. So that's the way I went. Um, So in his dissertation, I don't agree with everything he's saying. In fact, he's actually saying a lot of what I'm opposing in this episode, he has put into words uh so i'm i'm opposing some of what he's saying but one thing he does that i really appreciate in in his dissertation is he actually he's one of the few scholars i've seen do this uh he's a, he actually looks one of the few biblical scholars he actually looks at sacrifice in the greco-roman world not just within israel and and he talks about how it it was it was sort of the glue or part of the glue that held society together. I'll just read an excerpt, or this is sort of an excerpt with things cut out, so it's not too long. From his dissertation, he says, civic sacrifice, in that time, uh, in the ancient world, re-inscribes group membership on several levels. Civic sacrifice indexes family identity. Young men were introduced to the citizen body through sacrificial rituals. These rituals publicly displayed the man's relationship with other citizens and his place in the civic order. Sacrifice also acknowledged the young man's right to claim his father's inheritance. In many cities, citizens were organized into subgroups for the purposes, purposes of administration or representation. They were always sacrificial groups. Membership in these groups united families within the city. Marriages and funerals also had their parallel public sacrifices. Men announced their marriages to the citizen body in sacrificial rituals. Thus, the community bore witness to a woman's new family status and the potential status of her children. Communal funeral rites united families to their descendants. So sacrifice was just in all, in every part of life. and it It bonded, the way he talks about it, is it bonded communities together that that was the role of sacrifice. It wasn't just about forgiveness of sins as we think about it. It was, certainly was not just just a religious act in the way we think of religion. It was a part of society. And so therefore, um asking people to give it up was a tall order. And not everybody could do that. And so I think that's why you see some of them what we might think of as mixed messages in the new Testament, because some people were able to, uh, a lot of Jesus original disciples were so poor. They had never been able to participate in the first place. So they could do it. Some people were were more radical, but other people maybe were, were at different stages were withdrawing from parts of the sacrificial system, but not other parts. And by the way, you see in the gospel, you see, we, we get the, the, the these very strong statements of commitment that sound like it's all or nothing. You know, anyone who must comes after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's all or nothing. But in the same chapter, it will say, but if you give a cup of water to one of the, these little ones, because they're my disciple, you'll certainly get your reward. So even little acts are recognized. Even though Jesus says, if you you come after me, you must deny yourself. If, uh, if If you don't, you're not worthy of me. Peter, the quintessential disciple, fails to follow Jesus to the cross and denies Jesus as Jesus is on trial. He denies knowing him. Peter, the quintessential disciple, fails at that all or nothing thing. And yet he becomes a leader in the church. In fact, it's stated in Matthew that way, Jesus says, "On this rock, I will build my church, indicating Peter so yeah there there's we, have, we we can't take all the hyperbolic talk in the gospel completely literally. We have to understand it in its emotional force. It has truth there, there's truth that we can get from it, but we can't take it literally. We have to understand that a lot of it is hyperbole, and that people were at different places the the centurion. Jesus says, you know, he comes and and bows before Jesus so that Jesus will heal his son or a servant, however you translate that word. And Jesus says, greater faith I have not found in Israel. But we don't know what the centurion does after that. Does he keep serving as a centurion? Uh, does he become a disciple of Jesus? Doesn't say that. So there really actually is in the early communities a place for people at different levels of commitment. So it could be that some people had quit sacrifice altogether. Some people had never participated in it. Other people were withdrawing from it where they could. But you could get then descriptions of people participating in it at different levels and are in different ways. And it would have made sense to the people there in the original context. They would have understood that. Whereas for us, it doesn't, doesn't seem to quite make sense. But let me compare it to something in our world which might help it make sense. So many people in our society who think of themselves as as progressive or even radical are opposed to, if not capitalism itself, a lot of the institutions of capitalism, like especially the large corporations. But almost every progressive or radical that I know still buys things from large corporations. Shops in corporate grocery stores. I know people that are progressive and they, you know, they don't like the, you know, they oppose the power and the dominance of large corporations like Amazon, but they order from Amazon. I try not to order from Amazon, but in a pinch, I'll have to say that I might do it. I haven't done it in a while, but I recently found out that this podcast is being broadcast partly through Amazon, through that that service. Uh, so some of you may be listening to this on Amazon So progressives and radicals, many will put oil, uh, will put gasoline in their cars, even though we know that contributes to oil wars and climate change. And we're concerned about that. So, and we want to get away from oil, yet we will drive our cars, right? In my daily life, I ride a bike, but yesterday we needed to go down to San Diego to uh, uh, visit my, uh, my wife's family. And we couldn't take the the train, which we usually do, because we usually take bike and train. But because of the pandemic, we can't take the train. So we drove. We have a we're we we have a co-op where we have one car, and we took that car. We put gas in it. Okay, contributed to oil wars and climate change. And we did it. So now try, you know, imagine trying to explain this to somebody two thousand years in the future when we've completely gotten away from capitalism and solved all these problems we no longer have this these issues and they're looking at it saying wait a minute you opposed the excesses of capitalism the wars it caused environmental degradation the disparities in wealth and people and the, the 1% was making a trillion dollars while people were getting evicted from their homes during a pandemic and you still participated in that system? You bought things in their grocery stores and you put gas in your tank and you, you know, you used money. You participated in the system while that was going on. And yet you said you were against it. Yeah. Cause it makes sense to us. Cause we know that we can oppose it. We know that we can be opposed either to the whole capitalist system or at least to a lot of its institutions, the large corporations. But at the same time, we don't live everything we believe or we've just got to survive in the world. We've got to do what we've got to do. And, you know, you got to live to fight another day, right? We understand it in our context. That's the way it was. That's the way sacrifice, I think, was for them. It was everywhere. It was embedded. And so some people at certain times are going to participate in it in different ways, even though the, the thrust of the movement was to reject it and to have a new social order that didn't have priests, that didn't put owners' demands for sacrifice on people who couldn't afford it. And if you did couldn't do it, then you had a lower status, or you didn't have any honor. In general, the the the, the movement was against that whole system. But people might still participate in it. People who had been participating in it before we're having, might, it might take them a while to extract themselves from it. They might never do it. They might only partially do it before they died. And that's the way it was. So we still oppose things that we disagree with, while partic- or oppose systems that we disagree with while, while participating in them. But we can look to the poorest and most marginalized people, people like Jesus and his original disciples, as those who point the way to liberation.
0: This has been Bible Study for Progressives. If you enjoyed the program, please subscribe to our podcast or put us in your favorites and write a five-star review. Tell your friends about us and share us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and click the donate button at modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. Your support will help us reach more people, produce more and better shows, and cover the cost of production. Feel free to send me a note or comment on the show. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Rich Proceda. Thank you for listening.